Hello and welcome to Become an Educator, the podcast that aims to explore the secrets to great teaching in our classrooms. I'm Darren Leslie, and each week I discuss things that will hopefully make an impact in your school. With guests from classroom teachers to head teachers and everyone in between and beyond in the education sector. Today I'm joined by Joe Dale. Joe is an independent languages consultant who works with a range of organisations such as Network for Languages, AWL, the British Council, the BBC, Skype, Microsoft and The Guardian. Joe was host of the TES MFL Forum for six years and is a former SSAT Languages Lead Practitioner. He is also a regular conference speaker and recognised expert on technology and language learning. He was recently described in a Guardian article as an MFL guru and the man behind the hashtag MFL Twitterati. In the podcast, I asked Joe how he got started using EdTech where it began for him and how he was an early adopter of podcasting and Twitter as way back as 2007. I asked Joe to share a little bit more about the hashtag MFL Twitterati and the MFL Teachers community on social media. We then go on to explore how he uses ICT to enhance language learning in the classroom, but what he suggests can also enhance learning in any classroom, not just a language learning classroom. We also explore tools that teachers can use for formative assessment and to give effective feedback. Our interview closes by me asking Joe what teachers can do who are looking to embed more ICT in their classrooms and Joe gives some golden advice. I had a thoroughly enjoyable discussion with Joe and I can't wait to share it with you. So let's dive right into my interview with Joe Dale. Thank you so much for joining me on Becoming Educated this evening. How are you? It's absolutely my pleasure, Darren. Thank you so much for the invite. I've listened to a couple of the episodes. I'm really, really flattered to have the opportunity of coming on to the podcast. I'm a big, big fan of podcasts and it's lovely to uh, appear on yours. No, certainly. We'll dig into a little bit of that later on because I'm here to talk to you about ICT and EdTech and how they can enhance language learning, but also some other um, ways we can use them in the classroom and, and outside the classroom, including a little bit of podcasting. We'll get on to a little bit later on. So just to kick us off on the on the podcast today, can you share a little bit about you and your career to date, please? Yeah, no problem. So uh, my background is I was a languages teacher for 13 years. I taught secondary school level for three years, two years of which I was in uh, North Wales, which is where I did my PGCE in the mid-90s. I then had a year in uh, Yeovil in Somerset and then I then moved to the Isle of Wight, which was the first time I'd ever been to the Isle of Wight on the day of my interview. And I fell in love with the place and I I worked there for 10 years, working with nine to 13 year olds. So I've got upper primary and secondary school experience. And then for the last 11 years or so, I've been an independent languages consultant, which is the sort of the name I gave to myself, as it were. So essentially, I make a living through running training on how technology can enhance language learning as well as across the curriculum. But the bread and butter of what I do is working with language teachers. I've worked with all the all the major um, uh, you know language organisations, uh, subject associations, etc. In the UK, 
I've also traveled all over the world. I've spoken at conferences and run training in places like Australia, North America, South America, the Middle East, all over Europe. And as a result of the pandemic, I had to pivot, as one says, and uh, start to, to earn a living almost solely through webinars. At the, at the beginning of the pandemic back in March, it was like, okay, all my, my diary has been wiped out overnight virtually, what I'm going to do. So I, I started off um, by contacting people as I normally do and said, uh, would you be interested in, a, in some online training? And then suddenly that really, really mushroomed. And then I also, at the beginning, got in contact with my friend Helen Myers, who's the chair of the London branch of the Association for Language Learning, and we both together decided to put on a series of webinars described as TILT, which is uh, technology and language teaching. And we've done over 140 of those since the start of the pandemic, right. all of which are available for free to watch on my YouTube channel, which is Joe Dale 100, and also on the AWL London website under the webinar options. If you click on that, you can see all the archives. So Essentially, what, what happened was I sort of used my contacts over many, many years of being interested in this area of asking people literally from all over the world to um, to take part in these TILT webinars. And then uh, Helen worked really, really hard on putting together the web pages and helping me co-host uh, the sessions. And we haven't we haven't finished yet. We've got another one coming up uh, this month, but we're, we're sort of scaling back now because there's not the same need compared to at the beginning when we were doing literally two a week and in fact in easter 2020 we were doing three a week which was uh yeah a lot of fun but a lot of hard work and i did all of that completely for free because morally it felt the right thing to do so that's that's sort of a, a bit of a snapshot of what i've been doing in the last few years no, certainly and a great um, great pivot that you can that you can do that and, and and keep the work going it was a a very fascinating time for for a lot of us. Um, so we're going to dig into some of that long and varied career you've had full of such interesting kind of moves and, and so on. And I've never been to the Isle of Wight, but the way you spoke about it there, I'd definitely love to go. Before we go into the podcast, I'm, I'm quite fascinated by languages. How many languages can you speak, Joe? Okay, so I, I taught French for all that time, but I also learned Spanish as a child. I, I did do it up to A-level. So I studied Spanish for six years. But interestingly on that point, I've been... I've been asked to uh, uh, keynote conferences in languages I don't speak at all. So back in 2017, I keynoted the Japanese National Languages Conference in Melbourne, Sydney, uh, Melbourne, Australia. And I've also keynoted the uh, the German Teachers Day. Goethe Institute asked me to do that. Likewise, I've keynoted the um, the National Spanish Association in Ireland uh, and so on and so forth. So just because you don't have you know lots and lots of languages it doesn't mean that you can't apply you know language learning to lots of different uh, areas and, and through the the skills of lang language learning apply what you've learned to other languages as well so uh, there we are that's that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a few things in my but i i just i i've always loved languages i've always found languages uh, you know interesting those people that follow me on twitter know that um i i'm a big fan of uh, language puns and, uh, you know, obviously a lot of the time I'm, I'm tweeting serious things or sharing links, but I do love, you know, like a, a half an hour fest of um, doing puns around cheese or fish or whatever it might be with, with certain uh, people in my uh, community that also like puns as well. So I just I just love language and I always have done. So there we are. No, certainly. It's, it's so wonderful. It's, it's amazing that... Um... And imagine there's lots of commonalities between languages that once you learn a few, then you just start to spot kind of certain things. But we might come back to that a little bit of, of language learning, but we're going to dig into this idea of ed tech. Can I ask you, Joe, how did you get into using ed tech? So where did it begin for you, and especially using it in the classroom? 
Okay. So you might be surprised to hear that actually um, when I went to the middle school, that was just around the time when I was sort of developing my interest in technology. I could just about word process. I, you know, I wasn't very good with, with PowerPoint and things like that. I was a real, you know, a real novice. But when I went to the middle school, my ICT coordinator, I got on really, really well with him. And he sort of just, you know, helped me a lot. And I remember, I'll never forget the day when uh, he saw my desktop and he said, do you know how to make folders, Joe? And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, if you make folders, then you can put all these things on your desktop in your um, my documents all in different folders. You don't have to have everything, you know, like like you've taken a suitcase and you've just um, upended it and it's all over the floor. So that was that was a, a revelation. And then from there, I just really got the bug. And because um, I'm, I'm reasonably old now, I was able to get the uh, the funding from the government those days when the government actually gave funding to education of the Teachers for Computers scheme. So they gave, you know, a few hundred pounds off um, off a computer from a from a, like a registered list. You had to buy them from certain suppliers. But anyway, I bought my my computer, I had them um, dial up, as it were, and I just really was absolutely, you know, passionate slash obsessed by it all, and just learned how to do, you know, advanced things with PowerPoint and uh, and so on and so forth, and then sort of from there got into like blogging and podcasting, and, and it was and it was really the Scottish uh, teachers who really inspired me back in sort of two thousand and five, two thousand and six. You know, people like you and Macintosh who I believe I'm right in saying was the first UK language teacher to do a podcast. But I think probably I was the first English man to do a podcast who was a languages teacher back in 2006. So really, really early days from that point of view. But yeah, that was that was sort of like my, my, my background, how I got into it. But, um, you know, some people might be surprised to hear that it was really like a beginner, not even that long ago. But I think what that shows is, well, what I take from that anyway, is if you're interested in something... Now that we have the internet, we've had the internet for many, many years, you know, there's nothing really holding you back. And that's really exciting, I think. I think it's a great leveler. It's very democratic in that way. So you can learn about things by, you know, doing searches, watching YouTube. I mean, I'm a huge fan of YouTube clips and and watching, uh, you know, advanced tutorials about how to do X, Y, and Z. And in no time at all, you know, you can learn all the the major features of different um, ICT tools and so on and so forth. And I just think that's absolutely fantastic. I think for young people as well, the way in which they can uh, practice and practice and practice using tools like, you know, Quizlet or quizzes or, or other such um, free web tools. I just think it's, it's brilliant. And of course, you know, those people that listen to this might say, well, of course, we've had libraries for years and years and years. Yes, we have. But it's not quite the same as being able to watch, you know, a YouTube clip or whatever it might be. And also, I'm sure we'll go on to talking about, you know, social media and social media communities. But also, I found that being part of the MFL Twitterati, um, which if people haven't heard of that, um, uh, you know, community of language teachers, about, you know, 5,000 members on the MFL Twitterers list that I manage. And then people are using the hashtag all over the world and have been for many years. That's also an amazing way, I think, to keep up to date with the latest technologies. And as long as, of course, we focus on the pedagogy and then finding out what the best technology is for that. And I think Certainly since the start of the pandemic, these sorts of conversations around what's the best tool and app to do X, Y, and Z, that conversation has expanded because of the need of, you know, that emergency remote teaching that we all went into back in March 2020. And I think that it's been amazing to see how those conversations have, have carried on and also via the, the Facebook groups that have either been established at the start of the pandemic, for example, there was one uh, Google Classroom for MFL teachers by Samantha Broom and uh, Jenna Riley-Turner, who set up the, the MFL one for Teams as well. 
as long as you know long-standing Facebook groups such as um, MFL Matters that um, the Associate Language Learning supervise and moderate. I, I think it's just been been a fantastic coming together. I mean, even though the, the the pandemic clearly is very very grim, one of the silver linings of it is the fact that teachers have come together and support each other. And I've been absolutely bending over backwards trying to help people at the same time trying to make a living as well. And I'm doing. I don't want. This is not a sob sob story. I'm doing absolutely fine. <laughs> But um, I did. Do, I have done lots and lots and lots of hours of webinars for free because it just felt the right thing to do. Certainly, and it was. I was amazed by the profession over over um, the lockdown of how generous people are with their time. And, and certainly, as a teacher, I'd like to thank you for that because I think giving up so much of your knowledge for free, it really is a wonderful profession for that. So I'd like to kind of dig in a little bit on what you said about the MFL Twitterati. Can you share a little bit more about that? And then maybe give us uh, some ideas of, of who MFL teachers should possibly follow on social media for a bit more ideas and classroom ideas. Yeah, sure. No problem at all. So uh, the MFL Twitterati officially started around 2008, 2007. That's what I normally say. Between 2006 and 2008, I was a lead practitioner for the Specialist Schools and Academies Trust. And as part of that, we had to organise an event every year to attract language teachers to our school or whichever venue you had it in and do some sort of language um, activity. So I thought, well, why don't we have a mini conference <laughs> as you do and invite teachers from here, there and everywhere. And we had we had speakers from uh, from Scotland, for example, people like Lynn Horn and Mark Penterton and people like that. We did invite uh, Ewan McIntosh the first year, but unfortunately he admitted that he got double booked and he realised this on a, on a bus on uh, in Edinburgh, I think it was, if I remember correctly, realised it was double booked, so he wasn't able to come down, which was which was a shame. But it was it was very Scottish heavy to start off with. But that's because, as I said, I was really inspired by the people I've mentioned, plus people like Adam Sutcliffe as well, who's up in Aberdeenshire, because it really was um, people in Scotland, I think, that were really pushing the, the Web 2.0 agenda uh, and obviously Ewan McIntosh was at the core of that but uh, I was incredibly inspired by reading about you know the blogging and the podcasting adventures that he was having and I started my own podcast as I mentioned my own blog uh, and it just it just really went from there really so uh, back in 2007-2008 I think it was 2007 my friend um, Drew Buddy who's Digital Maverick on Twitter I invited him to come to the conference the Isle of Wight conference as I called it to do a session on uh, on Moodle and how Moodle could be used in languages. And he said, yes, absolutely, uh, he'd love to come down. And he was really, really into Twitter at the time. And I, I signed up to Twitter in 2007, as I am, I'm sure you're the same, an early adopter. So um, I've been on uh, Twitter for over 14 years now. <laughs> but anyway, in fact, nearly 15 years, because it was May 2007. Anyway, so Drew was a big fan of, of Twitter and encouraged everyone to tweet during the session uh, John Johnson, who I'm sure you know, up in Scotland as well, who um, I think I'm right in saying was the first UK teacher to do a podcast, not a languages teacher. But I, I think there's a little bit of an argument between him and Ewan. But anyway, I won't, I won't start <laughs> that now. But I think, um, yeah, John always has been a huge influence on me. And he very kindly coded like a little um, a little web page for me, which we put on the TV screens in the hall for the conference, which would then display the tweets live. And that all really helped, I think. So we we were using the um, the hashtag IOW Conference 08, which considering we only had 140 characters was, was a little bit long as a hashtag. But that was really uh, when people started, as I say, you know, tweeting about what they were doing. I know this sounds like normal nowadays, but the feeling that you could go along to a session 
at the conference and you could be learning about what was happening in another room through everyone following on Twitter, which to me at the time was, it just felt revolutionary. It felt absolutely amazing. So in a way, that was when it started. It was it was starting with a face-to-face meeting, so people meeting up on the Isle of Wight. And then later on, we transferred to Southampton University and Zena Hilton, who used to work at Southampton University and helped with um, organising language events. And she's now moved to, to Paris. She's been in Paris for a few years now. She was amazing in essentially, you know, taking the idea and with my sort of support and help of transferring it to Southampton University. And that's when it got bigger. And then Twitter was getting more and more popular and it sort of just really mushroomed from there. And then we had five years of it there. And then Helen Myers, who I mentioned already, we then carried on at Helen's school and we've done a few, a few times we've had the conference there as well. But essentially, it's just, it's just a reason to try and get everyone together and share ideas on how technology can be used in the languages classroom. And then I think the MFL Twitterati really, the hashtag officially, I think it was, was started around 2008, I think, but it's just grown and, and mushroomed. And, you know, I've spoken, as I've said already, you know, around the world, I've, I know hand on heart that, you know, we're really leading the world on the use of uh, social media amongst language teachers which is not to say that other countries aren't doing really, really well. I mean, there's the LangChat community in the States, which is of a similar level. But um, I'm very, very proud of what we've created as a community. And, you know, it's been the regular contributors, which obviously have changed over time because some people, they feel, you know, Twitter's no longer their thing and they, they go off and do something else. And then other people then come in and then become regulars. And it's it's around that those regular contributions are or, or almost like you've got dif- different circles. You have, uh, you know, like the regular contributors in the middle and then the people that like check their Twitter every few days and then the people that check every few months or whatever. But um, I think people have really felt that the support that they've been able to get from each other, either through Twitter or through the Tilt webinars, I think has been very, very welcome, particularly at the beginning when it was very scary at the start of the pandemic. And I think that, you know, we were regularly getting over 100 people per session whereas it's it's sort of tailed off a bit now. But I think that's because people just wanted to be with other language teachers and, and feel they weren't alone, which I think was a really important point. I certainly think that key point of not being alone was, was certainly vital for, for many, many teachers. I love how I can just imagine, I mean, we take for granted now that when I sit, in, I sit here in Scotland and I can see what people are saying about conferences in, in London and in, this, in Europe as well, it's really fascinating, but I can imagine the, the excitement that would have been going around 2007, 2008. I mean, I joined Twitter in 2012, um, so it was quite, it's quite a bit after that. Um, I didn't even know it existed until then, so it's amazing how these things um, float around. So you've mentioned a little bit about using ICT in the language classroom. So can I ask you, Joe, how does ICT enhance language learning in the classroom? Right. Well, well. So, so that's that's like the bread and butter of what I've been working on for many, many years. So, what I normally say to that is, you can divide the use of ICT in the classroom, in the languages classroom, into two broad areas. One is the use of ICT to promote creativity. So, making little video clips, making little audio clips, making animations, making animated gifs, those sorts of things. You know, the whole idea, you know, Bloom's taxonomy and being at the top of the um, taxonomy, encouraging people to create content. And I think that lends itself really nicely to language learning. So, when you're talking about uh, practicing speaking and writing, particularly, you know, the productive skills, technology lends itself so beautifully to being able to record and edit sound, the whole recording and editing process, or in lots of these tools, you know, you can re-record. That um, boosts confidence, I think, and risk-taking, and it allows the 
the students to hear their own voice again and again and again, or maybe if they're working in a small group and they're recording all together, it really helps to reinforce the content that they're learning about in their own brains and put it into the long-term memory. So I think that sort of creativity around language learning through the use of technology is something which I was always, always passionate about when I was in the classroom. And then likewise, when I come across interesting tools, I sort of talk about them and I think, oh, I think this would be really, really good. And as a teacher, you know, you get a gut feeling of something's going to be good. And then you put out out on Twitter and then you get that whole sort of like cycle review whereby someone will say, oh, yeah, I think that's really good. I'll try it out. They then try it out. They then feed back to you. And it sort of goes from there. So, for example, a tool like um, Adobe Spark Video, which is so simple to make um, a multimedia slideshow whereby you're using your voice to record, you're adding text, you're adding royalty-free images, you can use icons as well. It's a really simple and easy way to make a product, to give ownership of the work to the students, to give them agency, which is a sort of a, you know, a common term nowadays, to encourage their agency in, uh, in the language learning classroom. I think that's absolutely lovely. And then the other part I normally talk about in relation to user technology is the sort of the receptive side of things, whereby you're using tools such as Quizlet and Duolingo and, and quizzes to to practice the language in that sort of mechanistic, maybe dry grammatical approach, whereby if you were to do the same type of activity on paper, you probably wouldn't do anywhere near the, the same number of, uh, of activities, whereas doing it on the computer or doing it on a mobile device which means you can obviously learn on the, on the go. It means you can do as many activities as, as you want to. You can get reminders because of the algorithms that they use on, on the, the gaps in knowledge that, that, uh, that you've displayed through um, the answers that you've given and the ones that you've got wrong and the, and the way that you have to um, be you know, sent reminders and, and the whole idea of, of having streaks and being able to build up points over time and web tools such as GimKit, for example, and how you can earn virtual dollars I think is really cool. So yeah, so those are those are a few ideas. I mean, obviously, I could mention lots and lots of different tools, but as I always say, it's all about the pedagogy, and that's what we need to focus on. And I know I've said this already, but I think it's a really important point that by being part of a social media community, if you were to ask the question, okay, so what's the best way of practicing listening, for example, and then lots of people within the MFL Twitter article can then all send in their their replies, and then what you can do is you can make like a compilation of um, bullet points of you know, the best, I don't know, 15 tools for practicing listening. On that point, actually, in relation to crowdsourcing, one of my sort of most popular sessions I've been doing recently, I've been calling clinics, whereby instead of just doing like a straight presentation, I'll say, okay, can you ask me some questions over, say, the period of a week? You know, you could use, say, like a Google form, for example, that works really nicely. So people put lots of questions to me, I then look at all the answers, and then I put together a presentation based on those questions. So it's really trying to, you know, through crowdsourcing, it's really trying to meet their individual needs. And one question that came up recently, this, this, which is why I'm talking about this now, was there was a, a teacher who'd asked the question, could you talk about whether, you know, quizzing tools such as Quizlet, etc., are more to do with teacher efficiency and saving time as opposed to learning, student learning? So in other words, are they just a bit like a, like a whizzy thing, which would be the same as doing a spelling test on paper or learning, you know, by like hide and reveal, as it were, which is like the traditional way of doing it. Are there actual learning advantages to using tools such as Quizlet? And I just thought that was a brilliant, brilliant question. So I asked the MFL Twitter artist what they thought. And as I mentioned, I got lots of replies back and then I just made it like a bulleted a list of all the answers of which I divided the first 
half of the slide, the first whatever it was, um, 10 answers to the learning aspect and then the second set of answers to the, you know, the teacher efficiency aspect. So, for example, on the learning aspect, people were saying things about the algorithm I mentioned already. You know, the fact that the algorithms are there, that's definitely helping with the learning because it's identifying gaps in knowledge and it's reminding the students of the things they need to work on. People were suggesting things like, you know, for students with poor organisational skills, it can really help them to to organise their learning and the fact that they um, can practice over time. So using like a space repetition model, which is what um, Quizlet so and so forth are all about, you know, little and often, which is something language sheets have known about for years and years and years. But the idea of, you know, doing, say, 10 minutes of low stakes testing every day to practice for a spelling test by the end of the week is a much better way of working as opposed to trying to learn everything the night before. So I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. And whenever I've had um, that type of clinic, I've always, uh, obviously, I've tried to, you know, answer myself. But at the same time, if you just ask the MFL Twitterati or the equivalent in other in other subjects, you can be reminded of things which you've done in the past, or you can be inspired by people's ideas, or you can dig deeper into you know, they might give an answer. You think, okay, so yeah, that's interesting. But what do you actually mean? You know, give me the gritty detail. What it, what exactly are you saying is how is this exactly enhancing language learning? And then in my experience, teachers love that because that's good for their own thinking and they like to dig deep. And then you get other people chipping in and go, oh yeah, I tried that and so on and so forth. So I think that conversation around the pedagogy and the technology is something which has been there for years, but it's just been expanded because of the pandemic. Certainly, I think a lot of that confirms what you already think, but I love what you said about how the pedagogy drives the ICT and you've offered up so many different ideas. I can just imagine students working with Adobe Spark Video, creating stuff that they've learned, demonstrating their learning and loving that. And obviously using the, the Quizlet and Quizzes apps, which have had a lot of, a lot of use I'd imagine over time and a lot of use over the last couple of while as we try and kind of evidence learning online because we're not physically in front of the students. So we spoke a lot about how we can use that for, for student learning and demonstrate learning. So can I ask you what tools teachers can use for formative assessment? Well, when we're talking about formative assessment, I normally mention like quizzing tools and so on and so forth. But I also think that there are other tools out there that which are also very good for formative assessment. So a classic one, I think, would be whiteboard.fi. At the beginning of the pandemic, there were lots of teachers who essentially wanted to just do what they would normally do in a face-to-face classroom, but just do it remotely. So one question came up, well, I really you know, like using mini whiteboards. How do I do that digitally? And then whiteboard.fi came out, I think around the same time, if I remember correctly, I think it was around the time of the beginning of the pandemic. And people obviously jumped on it and thought, wow, this is great. So for the people that haven't seen it before, it's really nice in the sense that one, it's free. There are premium features, but you can use the basic features for free. So you just go to the, the website, create a class, you make your class as the teacher. When I'm demonstrating live in a webinar, I normally have a second device, like an iPad, whereby I join as a student so I can see exactly what uh, everyone else is seeing, as it were. But what's nice about it is everyone gets their own whiteboard and then you can give some instructions on, for example, draw a picture saying what you did last weekend, for example. And then all the images which you're uh, showing live via Zoom or whatever video conferencing tool you're using. So everyone can see everyone else's work, but you can only work on your own individual board. So that's really useful from the point of view. If you don't want them to be collaborating with each other, which obviously you can do in other tools like um, a collaborative PowerPoint or a Jamboard or a class notebook, etc., what you can do is you can just work on an individual screen and then also what the teacher can do is they can for example add an image onto their board and then push it to all the students so i've seen some nice examples of that whereby 
a teacher creates a, like a template as an image. So in that image, it could have, say, a white box for drawing some text, or it could have um, some other, you know, graphics in relation to the activity. And then the students can draw, they can um, add an image if they want to, and it just all appears on their individual board. So I thought that was really, really nice from the point of view of formative assessment and the way in which the teacher can see in a remote or a hybrid context or a face-to-face context what the students are doing. And there are other tools which also work nicely, I think, in relation to formative assessment on that point. So you could use, say, tools like Mentimeter, for example, which has proved very popular. Again, if people haven't heard of Mentimeter, it's like a sort of a, like a, a PowerPoint type of tool whereby for free you can have up to two slides and in those slides you can have different types of interactive activities such as generating word clouds or creating multiple choice activities and so from the point of view of say retrieval practice having a word cloud is really nice because you can say to the students okay post everything that you can remember about what we did last week or two weeks ago or on the topic of x y and z all the answers will then start to appear on the screen the more people who write the same answer will appear larger than other answers so it's it's very easy for the teacher to identify the most popular phrases that students are using that might be that they're overusing some phrases maybe and they need to widen their um their variety of phrases so i think those sorts of tools are really useful there's also the profanity filter with mentimeter and some people don't know that if you click on the stop voting option the little padlock if you hover bottom left of the screen that appears if you click on that and stop the voting you can then hover over an individual phrase a line will go through it and then you can click on it and it will then remove that from the screen. So if so, if little Johnny writes an inappropriate <laughs> word or uses a symbol to get around the profanity filter instead of a letter or uses a slang term, then the teacher is still in control and can still remove that from the screen, which is always you know very welcome. And then you've got other tools such as Pear Deck and Nearpod, which are also very good, I think, for formative assessment, the way in which they're interactive. You can... In the case of Pear Deck, you can have your slideshow and then you can then bring up multiple choice questions or a little text box question to get some feedback from the students. You can then choose to show those responses on screen. In Nearpod, you have the similar sort of setup, although I think um, there are more features with, with Nearpod. You've got a sort of like an Edpuzzle type exercise type whereby you can have a video. You can put in different nodal points along that video. So when you come to that point, the question will then come up on the screen. You've got a drawing activity, which I really like as well, whereby a little bit like whiteboard.fi, but incorporated within Nearpod. And I think drawing is a fantastic way of unlocking the language from the students. So as I said, if as the teacher asks the students to draw a picture of what they did last weekend, and then you've got, say, 30 images on the screen, you can say, oh, that's interesting. Can you explain, you know, it looks, Johnny, that you like to ride your bike on on a weekend is that right and then he uh, in the target language and then johnny can give an opinion about that in the target language and then another idea that i've been doing recently um in relation to whiteboard.fi is i'll click on an individual board so it'll go larger on the screen and then i use um a tool uh, screencastify to be able to record the screen so what i'm doing is i'm using the pen tool in screencastify so i'm actually annotating on the top of the picture while the student can then carry on annotating. So, for example, I could say, okay, I want you to draw a picture of a head. I want you to add some hair onto that head. I want that, that hair to be brown. I want to, you to add some eyes. I want those eyes to be blue and so on and so forth. And, you know, clearly there's lots of ways in which you, can, you could use that sort of functionality. But what I like about it is the way in which you're giving feedback in real time and then the, the student can then respond to that. And the fact that it's being recorded in Screencastify means that because you can link that to your Google Drive account, 
it will automatically be backed up to Google Drive. And then you can click on the shareable link and put it in the chat in, say, Zoom, or you could do the equivalent using the uh, screen recording feature in, say, PowerPoint. You could do the same sort of thing. So, you know, it's not um, it's not restricted to a particular platform. It's just, as I said, working on the pedagogy and what it is that you're trying to do and then just working out what is the best tool to do that. So those are a few ideas around formative assessment in addition to the sort of classic um, quizzing tools that I mentioned already. Certainly so much in there. I didn't know about that little tool on, on uh, Mentimeter. So I just added a little bit. I, I used whiteboard.fi during the during the lockdown and really, really liked that. But I haven't really investigated Pear Deck myself. I've tried a little bit at Nearpod. So thank you so much. There was so much in there for people to go and investigate. So thank you. So we've covered kind of that kind of learning phase, a little bit of formative assessment. Can we then explore how EdTech can help teachers provide effective feedback? Lovely. So feedback, one of the big tools that I've come across uh, in the last, whatever it's been now, a year or so, a year and a bit or so, is uh, Moat, which I'm sure lots of people have heard of. But if you haven't heard of Moat, it allows you to record audio feedback. So, you know, clearly with feedback, it's normally written. But what I love about the use of technology is you can consider multimodal feedback, particularly audio feedback. And there's been a history of people exploring the power of audio feedback, simply you know, going back to recording MP3 files for students and sending them to them, particularly at university level, I would say, when you're giving some feedback to an essay. I know in the research there have been people at university level who've recorded their thoughts, their reflections, and sent those to the, the students. But what I think that Moat did is they just made it so simple and easy to incorporate audio comments within Google Docs, Google Slides, and Google Classroom. So as a result of that, whenever you have a comment box which comes up, if you have the Moat extension installed, it means that you'll get the little purple circle appear with the M in it. You just click on it. For free, you can record up to 30 seconds. It used to be before January 2022, i.e. this month, it used to be that it was unlimited uh, how many moats you recorded for 30 seconds each. But then they decided that um, to make their model sustainable, they'd have to limit that to 20 moats per month which I understand, but I was a little bit disappointed, as I think lots of teachers were when they saw that. I decided a couple of days ago to upgrade to pay the £40, which is not a lot of money, I don't think, £40 for the whole year. So I then can have unlimited moats. But uh, that's the core functionality in relation to feedback, but also with that same moat extension, because they keep adding new options. You've also got the moat to slides option now whereby in a Google Slides presentation, you've got a little moat icon. You click on that and you can record audio, which goes then straight into the slide, which is absolutely fantastic. So we had to wait quite a long time for Google to um, incorporate the option of adding audio into a Google Slide. So back in 2019, they did the original native way of doing it, which was to record your MP3 using you know whatever tool you wanted to use. I normally use an online voice recorder, which is a website which allows me to record audio and then you can then edit the beginning and the end. So it's not like Audacity whereby you can edit, you know, the bits in the middle, but you can just sort of like top and tail the recording. So if someone feels a bit nervous before they start or they have a little bit of a gap or whatever, you can get rid of those bits at the beginning and the end. Then you can then download it as an MP3 natively, which is very nice. Then you have to upload it into Google Drive. Once it's in Google Drive, you then have to go to Google Slides, click on the insert audio option, go to your Google Drive, find the audio, and then put it in. And you have to make sure that the audio is set at either anyone in the organization can access it or anyone with a link. If you don't have that option, when you click on the get link option, when you right-click a file in the folder in Google Drive, and then you have to then make it so it's shareable to anyone 
with the link or anyone in your organization. So that was the old way of doing it, which you still can do now. But with Moat, it was simply a question of clicking on the the icon, making sure that you're logged in to the Google Slides account with the same Gmail as the Moat account. And then it just worked really smoothly, which is just brilliant for presentation and for giving feedback in languages, obviously. But I know it's very popular across the curriculum. And then they've also added functionality within Google Forms. So you can now have the audio as a, um, a link in the description for a listening comprehension activities. They've even upgraded that. So now it's possible to have audio in each answer. So if you've got, say, multiple choice, you can have A, B, C, D, E, and those can be audio files as opposed to written text. You've got Moat now in Gmail, which means you can send some audio um, in your Gmail. You can go to your activity tab in the, um, in the extension and see all the moats that you've done. You can click on the share option and uh, export a QR code, which if you scan, it will then take you to the audio to listen to it there. So for example, you could create audio QR code treasure hunts using that. And as long as you pay your £40 a year, that audio is never going to disappear, which is really, really nice, I think, from that point of view. So there's lots of ways in which you can use Moat. I do appreciate it's no longer completely free for your 30 seconds. So if you're looking for other options to do with, say, feedback, I'm a big fan of um, Quicker Conversation. So Quicker stands for QWI QR, which was developed by a physics teacher in the southwest of England. And you can use it in two main ways. The first way is for individual audio, which is automatically linked to a QR code. You can print off a PDF of many, many different QR codes, which you can then add audio to individually and then print off the PDF, cut it up, and then stick it into individual exercise books or jotters, as you say, up in Scotland. But you can also use the quicker conversations option whereby you record your the first line of your um of your dialogue, or it could be giving instructions, and then you give the link to the students, and then they can all record their answers. A little bit like Flipgrid as well, which is also wonderful for feedback and the way you can give video feedback, or um, you can choose what's called the mic only option, which means you don't appear on the video; you just appear with a white background with a blue circle, the microphone in it, which sort of pulsates while you're talking, which is also really nice. So I think. Um, from the point of view of giving multimodal feedback, I think tools like Flipgrid, Quick Conversations and Moat are some of the most obvious ones that I talk about in relation to giving that sort of audio feedback. And I think I'm sure you'd agree as a podcast fan that the voice can convey so much meaning and so much more compared to the written text. If the student is listening to the teacher's voice, they're going to pick up a lot more about how the teacher's really feeling about the work that they've submitted, which I think is much more powerful compared to the written word. And that's one reason why I really, really love audio. No, certainly. I think um, you can speak seven times faster as well. So in terms of the time cost for, for teachers, I mean, I love putting audio feedback in for students, especially in the lockdown. And I've had a little play with Quicker myself where each student had their own QR code and were able to do that. And they, it's quite strange. The, the students love listening to you, even though you're in the room. They love listening to you in the headphones. And oh, I'll just change it. I'll just change that bit for you, sir. I love that. And I love the little um, recognition to jotters. <laughs> that, that used <laughs> Absolutely. So, much that. so you just mentioned podcasts there. Have you ever used podcasting in the classroom, Joe? Well, that's a good question. So as I mentioned, I was a very, very early adopter back in 2006 when I started my podcast. And I had, well, I had my main blog, which is still there. I've not updated it since, uh, well, nearly 10 years now, 2013, because I've just got a little bit busy. But um, I also had a departmental blog as well. And I also had a Podomatic account, which still exists. I'm sure you've heard of Podomatic, but Podomatic was one of the main 
platforms that you would use back in the day for hosting your audio for free as long as you didn't have too many downloads i think it was there was you know some sort of limit but anyway i was never charged for any of it so what i decided to do was to create some grammar podcasts with the students so i got them to work in small groups of say two or three students they would choose the grammar area they wanted to work on so it was almost like um a couple of days i think it was i can't no that's right yeah it was during the sats week because it was a middle school we had the sats week whereby the year sixes were all really really busy doing their um their sats exams so we had you know sort of creative time during the whole week whereby we could essentially do whatever we wanted to do as long as it was to do with learning and the curriculum and so i thought all right fantastic i'll do a podcast so what i did was i got the students to work in as i said in small groups they could choose whichever grammar point they wanted to work on that we had covered so things like you know how do you conjugate er verbs in the present tense or how do you conjugate verbs in the um in the perfect tense using either avoir or être or or what have you that would have been with the older students but with the younger students you know what is a noun how do adjectives work give examples and so they all had the same format they'd have like an introduction saying you know we are bob jim and annie talking about x y and z then they'd have like um an explanation of what it was they were talking about so that was brilliant from the point of view of of them, you know, having the, the content reinforced in their own heads of being able to, you know, write it down, collaborating with each other, working out, uh, you know, the script they wanted to have and all that fantastic consolidation work. And then they'd all have like a little quiz or a little game at the end. So they'd ask various questions and they'd, they'd leave like a five second pause for thinking time for the listeners to listen to and then sort of, as it were, say the answer in their head. And then they would then give the answer afterwards. And they're still available. You can, if you do a search for nodehillfrench.podomatic.com, so nodehill as in N-O-D-E-H-I-L-L, nodehill, which was the name of the middle school, which doesn't exist anymore because we went from a three-tier system to a two-tier system back in 2011, but I'd already left um, two years earlier than that in 2009. But um, they're still there. You can still have a listen to them. They still sound really good. And they would sort of come up the front. We'd record it in Audacity, and then I would do I would do the editing, put the music on and, and so on and so forth. But I think even though I'm a huge fan of podcasting, I appreciate that if you're going to do the whole recording and editing process and you're going to get the students to make the podcast, in a way, one could argue it works better as a club when you have the time to do that. Or you get, say, I don't know, like a few keen individuals who want to go around and interview the staff and so on and so forth. I think what's... I've learned over the years is I think audio is brilliant for just, you know, straight recording, no editing, apart from maybe the topping and tailing you can do with online voice recorder, but just capturing the voice of practicing something and the fact that it's no longer then going off in the ether, as it were, you've got a, a permanent record of that speaking. And that can be really useful from the point of view of presentational practice, but also for audio feedback. But the whole process of making an actual podcast and putting up on, say, Anchor. I mean, there are some students that like to do that, but I think actually it works better as a club as opposed to getting you know, your whole class trying to make a podcast. I think record the audio, share it with the teacher via you know Google Classroom or, or Microsoft Teams. And the fact you've got the recording audio feature in Class Notebook as well, that's also really, really useful. But if you want to make an actual podcast, it's probably better to have that as a as a lunchtime club as opposed to lots of classes, because I think it just takes too much time to put it all together in that way. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's what I sort of have <laughs> decided on based on years of experience and what other people who are who are really into this 
are doing because in, in a way I've, i suppose i feel a bit disappointed there hasn't been a podcasting revolution although podcasting has become more and more popular possibly particularly during lockdown there were stories of not being able to get hold of microphones because there were so many people around the world trying to do podcasting but that was, i would imagine adults but we've never really seen um podcasting in the classroom really really taken off we've seen lots of audio recording and audio feedback but we haven't seen podcasting per se it's just really the early adopters and the enthusiasts as with anything to do with technology that really uh, have pushed the envelope. But uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Darren, and if you're sort of, you know, feel similar. No, <laughs> it is a huge time cost, but I can see the advantages of, of having the audio and especially the students and imagine the students that recorded those podcasts many moons ago probably still talk about it and still share it with their friends and family. So, so and you mentioned that permanent record, I think the use of audio and especially I can imagine it in, um, please excuse my ignorance of, of language here, imagine in language teaching of children hearing themselves speak in the target language could really give them confidence and they can then feed back to each other as well to that bit of peer assessment. So I can imagine there's lots of benefits there. So just to close off the, the interview section, Joe, we've, we've explored so much in the last um, 40, 50 minutes. Can I ask you, for teachers that are looking to embed more ICT into their classrooms, what advice would you give? Whenever I do training sessions, at the end of the training session, I always say, don't try everything that I've taught you <laughs> straight away because you'll get overwhelmed. <laughs> Choose one or two things which have jumped at you, which um, you know you definitely would like to try out. Because if you just try everything, then you'll fall over. The students will become overwhelmed. You know, You might lose focus, etc. So I think that in today's day and age, with all those 140 Tilt webinars that I talked about, what I would recommend is that teachers go along to my YouTube channel, which is available at Dale 100 They have a look at all the different Tilt webinars we've done, plus all the other webinars which I have presented in uh, this country and that country and all the rest of it, and see you know, if there's something there that they like, if they want to explore some ideas around virtual reality or feedback or presentational skills or speaking and listening skills, whatever it might be. They click on the uh, the video, they watch the video, they make some notes. There's a really lovely Chrome extension as well called Clarity Notes, which I've discovered recently, which is, is like a sort of a pop-up uh, next to your YouTube um, player. So you can make notes there and then all the notes are saved. You can then export them to somewhere else like a Google Doc or as in literally copying and pasting them and pasting them you know, in a Word document, etc. So that would be my first suggestion. But also, because you may have, have realized I'm a big fan of Chrome extensions, another Chrome extension which I would recommend is called Video Speed Controller. And what that allows you to do, and I know you can do this natively as well in YouTube, but you can, you can speed up the clip, for example. So this afternoon, for example, I was watching a, an hour and 44-minute um, tutorial on how to use Audacity from like A to Z. But I watched it on two times speed, so I was able to obviously get through it a lot, lot quicker. And you just get used to it. It sounds a bit weird to start off with, but if you watch things at uh, you know 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, etc., up to two times, I don't think I want to go any quicker than that. I think that's you know that's quick enough. But you can you can understand what the person's saying. You just get attuned to their voice, and you can uh, watch things a lot more quickly. And you can also do other things such as put a marker in the audio in YouTube and then go back um, and then, you know, like you click a, I've got it programmed as the W key to make a marker. And then you then, um, if you then move forward, and you want to remember the point you had got previously, you just press the E key and it goes back to that point. You can uh, fast forward or move forward by X amount. I've got it as 10 seconds. So if you go to the settings, you can configure it how you want. And you can also configure it for audio as well. 
So in, say, Vokaroo or BBC Sounds or any sort of audio that's playing, you can use the same control. So it's just useful, I think, from the point of view of speeding up your learning because everyone's time poor, I think, particularly at the moment. That's a really useful Chrome extension to sort of fast forward. And, and Clarity Notes, as I've mentioned, I think it's really nice for for note-taking. And I'm a big fan of note-taking. I think, you know, whenever you have a thought write it down because you never know when you might be inspired by, you know, going back. And I'm also a big fan of Google Keep as well, which I use all the time for, you know, writing my notes about different things. And I don't know if you got into Twitter spaces, uh, Darren, but I'm a big fan of Twitter spaces. And I've been making lots of notes in regard of, you know, starting my own Twitter space, which I'm planning on starting soon. I was thinking of doing it this month, but I just got too busy. But maybe next month we'll see. I was going to call it Ask Joe Dale. And the idea, a bit like the clinic idea, I was going to create a Google form, give people a week or two weeks, so have, say, two a month, ask people um, to ask me questions about technology and languages, and then I would then try to answer them live in the Twitter space, but also ask the person who asked the question if they want to turn up to to say they're to Pennethworth and then ask you know other people as um, as guest speakers on a panel, a little bit like question time. That was the model in my head get everyone to say the little bit and then have audience questions and so on and so forth, but have it about 30 minutes twice a month. But as I said, I was going to launch this month, but I've just been too busy um, <laughs> doing other stuff. But um, And then to record that and then put it onto Vimeo as a password-protected link so people could watch for free live and then take the link and put it into a, a Twitter newsletter, but then charge that Twitter newsletter as a way of monetizing the content because I have to make a living as I said so that's you know so you can go along and listen for free if you want the recording and you have uh, you suffer from FOMO fear of missing out then you'd have to pay to uh, to listen to the recording but there are lots and lots of people when we do webinars particularly people in say who are in the wrong time zone if they say in Australia etc say well it's going to be like six o'clock in the morning when you do the tilt webinar is it going to be recorded and I always say yes it'll be on my YouTube channel but I just thought um I would, you know, try a newsletter, try a Twitter space. I've been listening to lots of Twitter spaces, making lots of notes. So I'd really encourage everyone to use tools such as Google Keep or OneNote to make notes, keep all your ideas organized. But Clarity Notes is so nice because it's just literally right next to the YouTube player. So it's just there and everything is saved as well. So you'll never lose any notes as well. So there we are. A few more thoughts. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. I certainly, I've got my own ideas for that, for that Twitter space. So just, uh, it's a watch this space and we can have some, uh, but we won't have them in the same night, Joe. Just so we can... <laughs> well, uh, on that point, I was thinking of, um, on a Sunday night, I was going to go for eight o'clock. Then of course, call the midwife has now started, which is at eight o'clock <laughs> on a Sunday. And I thought, well, maybe I could start at seven fifteen, run for half an hour, maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit of space, breathing room between, uh, 7.45 and 8 o'clock, but say 8 o'clock, well, I've got to stop now. I've got to watch Call the Midwife, which is going to run for eight uh, eight um, weeks. So there we are. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, you need that 15 minutes to get your cup of tea and biscuit absolutely, before you watch the absolutely. Call the Midwife. <laughs> Thank you so much. So um, that brings us to the end of the interview section, Joe. I do have a quick fire round of three questions that I, I ask every guest that I would love for you to take part in. But before we do that, can you point listeners towards a social media account, any blogs or any of your content that you produce that they can access? Yeah, no problem at all. So I'm at Joe Dale on Twitter. As I mentioned already, I signed up to Twitter back in May 2007. So that's the the first port of call. I've got over 33,000 followers now on Twitter, which uh, has taken a long time to to build up. But um, and I'm more than happy to you know retweet anything for people to a wider audience um, of language teachers. If people want to direct message me about anything that I've talked about, if they if they're trying to make notes but they can't understand, you know, my my English accent or whatever, then feel free to to contact me. That would be 
the first port of call. I do have um, my podcast site. We haven't updated the podcast for two years now. Well, it was November 2019, which was the, the last time we did an episode. We did 10 episodes, which I'm very, very proud of, and pulled together audio from lots and lots of different teachers. It was a long time for editing each episode, but my friend uh, Noah Geisel, who is based in... Um, Denver, Colorado, we would, as we're doing right now, we're, we're talking over Zoom. We would talk over Zoom, but record our own voice with a nice microphone into Audacity. He would then send me his audio track. I then edit it together and it would sound like we were in the same room. We do the same thing with, with interviews. We'd have a third person and then people would then also send me audio tracks because I would contact them and say, could you send me some audio about this thing that you tweeted about? And people would always say yes. And then I'd then edit them all together in audacity around a certain a certain theme so they are still all there all of them i think i'm right in saying about over a thousand downloads i think the first episodes had about two and a half thousand downloads i'd love to carry on doing some more but it's just a question of you know work-life balance and and um, monetizing and what have you but that's another good place and also a recent tip i've been I've been watching a few YouTube clips about marketing with Twitter, which is not really like me, but I just thought I would have a quick look. And one of the suggestions was that you have a, a threaded tweet that you pin to your profile. So for those people that don't know what a threaded tweet is, essentially you just write a tweet and then you keep replying to yourself and adding more and more tweets. So in that threaded tweet, the idea is to essentially write um, a bio of yourself made up of uh, various tweets. So if you go to my profile at Joe Dale, it's the pinned tweet. If you click on that, I think it's got about 10 different tweets within that thread. And it goes through all the things I've been involved in over the many years, how I've worked with people like you know, the British Council and The Guardian and Microsoft and so on and so forth and different projects I've been involved in. And it also has a link to a Google Doc, which has 18 example sessions or training sessions that I can offer to either language departments or language associations or districts, or, or I can do across the curriculum sessions as well, which I've done quite a few of those as well for remote, hybrid, or face-to-face teaching context. So do have a look at that Google Doc. And I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to design a bespoke session to meet your context individual needs. So those are a few places. And of course, my YouTube channel, which is Jodale 100, 100 as in the figures, is another great place to uh, to find content. And if you really want to listen to my dulcet tones for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours until you're sick of it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. There's so many places in, in so much gold in there. So thank you. I, I would encourage anyone to, to get in touch. I've learned so much from you in just this just this hour. So thank you so much. So now on to the quick fire round. Three questions, your initial thoughts. Although a lot of people aren't very good at keeping it short, but I don't mind um, really. So if you're ready, Joe, uh, let's get cracking with them. So the first one is, is what are you reading or reading about currently? Good question. Right. I don't normally uh, I don't normally have a reading book on the go. Although that said, I love, love, love to read to my son every time at bath time. It's normally every two days. For 99p, I bought the uh, Grimm's Tales collection and there's over 200 stories. And I've been uh, reading those to my little boy, the Munchkin, as he's known on Twitter, for many, many weeks, we've got up to about 90, I think 90 stories. So we've done just under half so far. And there's a lot of um, a formulaic approach. There's normally, it normally starts off with once upon a time there was, and it's normally like a huntsman or a prince or a king who had three daughters and so on and so forth. There's normally a forest involved. There's normally 
a hut in the forest with a witch. Anyway, so we've had a lot of fun around that. So what's been lovely about it is I think it's really promoted the thinking skills in my son because he'll say classic lines. He's, he's seven, by the way. He says classic lines like, I don't like the sound of that, daddy. As in, you know, I'll just say something about uh, the king has, you know, has just said this, that, and the other. And he'll say, uh, you know, I don't trust him. I don't think that's going to end well. And I just think that's brilliant. So for many years, I've been reading to him, but uh, particularly more recently, well, we, we did like all the World Dull books in the, like the kids' collection. We've done, uh, as I said, 90 out of the 200 Grimm's Tales. We've done a few other other books as well, but um, I sort of started off by reading him the books which I loved as a child, but then I thought, well, let's go for the Grimm's Tales. I've also downloaded the Hans Christian Andersen's ones, which we'll, we'll go on to once we've gone through the Grimm's Tales. But I just think um, you know, this idea of um, you know, reading fairy tales to your children will make them more clever. I don't know if that's true, but I just love being able to discuss these ideas with him, and I can see him thinking and and his vocabulary has gone through the roof. Like he came out with the word widow yesterday. With, you know, with um, I was talking about the fact that you know the king had lost his wife, and he said, "So he's a widow then, daddy." And I, and I went, "Yes." You know, sort of the teacher in me <laughs> uh, was delighted. So I know that's quite a long answer, but um, I read a lot on screen. But I um, I, I've definitely nurtured a love of reading through those sort of you know personal connections you make reading to your 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 child. In my case, my son. And just seeing his face light up, and I know it's doing him good from the point of view of, of his brain and his vocabulary and his thinking skills, but it's also just a nice way of connecting with him, really. And it's something, it's a special, you know, daddy munchkin thing that we do, really. So it's good. Certainly. Thank you. A long answer, but a beautiful answer. So thank you so much for that, Joe. So, next one I'm so fascinated by you help so many teachers. But what is your own current professional development focus? Okay, so as I mentioned, my, my current professional development focus is to learn as much as possible around Twitter spaces with, you know, I'll be very honest about it with a view of monetizing. But as I've said already, I made very clear, I'm a big, big fan of audio, editing audio. And I was just thinking that would be a great way in which you can involve lots of voices altogether. I love doing the, the MFL Twitterati podcast, which, which I talked about. But um, it was a lot of work with getting people to send me audio and what have you. Why not have something live in Twitter? So as soon as Clubhouse came out, I thought, oh, that's a really interesting idea. I think it's going to come to Twitter. Now it's come, it has come to Twitter with Twitter Spaces. And I would really recommend to um, to listeners of this podcast to check out the the podcast, which is called All Things Audio, which is a co-presented podcast. It's Suze Cooper, who is based in Birmingham. And it's Madeline Sklar. Sklar is spelled S-K-L-A-R. And she's a big sort of Twitter marketer, Madeline is. And then Suze is a big, big fan of audio. And they have this weekly podcast called All Things Audio. And they just talk about social audio, in particular Twitter spaces and Clubhouse. And when I drop off my little boy, I normally listen to it on the way back because we get the bus there because it's a wee it's a wee walk but I'll then walk back listen to the podcast and then when I go and pick him up I'll listen to the podcast as well so I normally yeah get through an episode a day and I've um, nearly done all 32 now which means I'll be up to the latest episode but it's been absolutely fascinating to listen to them talking about the evolution of um, Twitter spaces and once I get my teeth into anything I've been like that for years I just go for it and I want to learn everything about it and so yeah, so I've been using Google Keep. I've been writing lots of notes around um, Twitter Spaces, review newsletters, which is the company which Twitter bought to make their newsletters, Twitter communities as well. So I've applied for a Twitter community and I've made one of those again, which I'm going to call Astro Day, which I've not published about yet because 
I'm still, you know, putting all the ducks in order, as it were. But that's also very exciting. So a little bit like Facebook groups, but on Twitter. And anyone can apply for one, but you can only have one per person and you have to apply for it and then Twitter has to approve it. But they have approved it with me. It's just I haven't had time to actually launch it yet. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, Joe. And my final one to you is, what do you love most about being a teacher and teaching? Okay. So obviously I was a teacher for 13 years. I still love being an educator. I love to tell people about things they don't know about. I love to find solutions to people's problems. In relation to the 18-session uh, Google Doc, which I put together, which I talked about, the reason I put that together, or the, the way in which I put that together, I mean, I was, I was monitoring uh, Twitter at the start of the pandemic, seeing what were the issues that lots of people were having. For example, there were lots of schools that weren't allowing um, live lessons, e.g. Uh, using, say, Zoom to teach live lessons so that you could then look inside other people's homes and the safeguarding issues around that. There were lots of state schools that didn't allow that to happen. So I then put together some sessions on asynchronous learning, formative assessment ideas, using Jamboard, creating Bitmoji classrooms and so on and so forth. So I would say those are, yeah, those are some of the main things that I'm interested in in relation to being an educator now. But I, I just love helping people. Genuinely, I've always have loved helping people. I feel a real personal sense of satisfaction. And I suppose what I've tried to do is turn what was a hobby into a second career or a second way of, of uh, generating income. And as a result of the pandemic in particular, I've had to make it work. I've had to explore other avenues of generating income. Fortunately, because of my sort of digital background, I was able to make a reasonably easy jump from face-to-face -face teaching to running webinars. But before the pandemic, I mean, I had done webinars, but I certainly hadn't been doing the number of webinars that I was doing. And in some cases, I was doing three a day on very busy days, whereby I could be talking to Australia in the morning at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, I did quite a few sessions for the Victorian Association of Teachers of Italian. They booked me about six times, I think. I might be doing another session with a language department in the afternoon and then do a tilt webinar in the evening. <laughs> so yeah, I've just tried to adapt as everyone has. And um, But I'm always trying to, you know, whenever someone uh, makes a comment on Twitter about struggling or needing some help, I'll always, you know, send them a message or or try to help them if I if I can. So because I have the skill set to help people a lot through the the digital technologies, that's that's what I did. But I've I've been able to make a good living as well. Certainly, thank you so much uh, for that quick fire round, Joe. So much in there, but thank you so much. I like to thank you very much for giving up your time this evening for joining me on the Becoming Educated podcast. You're welcome. It's been an absolute thrill. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and uh, I can't wait to. To get your track, you'll send it to me via um, We Transfer, no, no doubt. And uh, We Transfer is in WE, not We Transfer as in the Scottish We Transfer. A uh, We Transfer. And then I'll, I'll edit it all together in Audacity and it'll sound like we're in the same room, even though you're, I presume, up in Scotland and I'm in my study on the Isle of Wight. Brilliant. So close, but so far apart. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Becoming Educated. As ever, I would be delighted to hear your thoughts and you can contact me via Twitter at DNLeslie or via email. So that you don't miss out, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast. And while I have your attention, why not submit a review of the podcast wherever you get yours from so that many, many others can access Becoming Educated. I'll be back next week with another episode of Becoming Educated and I do hope to see you there.